You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. your bigness. We are in awe of you. We are in awe of what you continue to do in us and through us. So we dedicate not just this moment, but our lives to you completely and totally, that you will have your will and your way. God, show up like never before, that we leave out of these doors on fire for you. Our light shines brighter than ever before. God, have your way in our lives as we surrender to you and we say all together, we serve a big God. Come on. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're not already seated, you may be seated. I want to take just a moment and remind you that God wants what's best for you. God wants what's best for you. He he wants the best healing for you, the best life for you, the best finances for you. He wants what's best for you. Everything that God has done is because he wants what's best for us. But in order for us to get what God wants for us, our lives actually have to align with his will. And part of our lives aligning with the will of God starts with us putting him first. And I understand, I'm like you, sometimes it's hard to put God first. It's hard to put God first, especially when we start talking about money. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, everybody say yeah. Yeah. It's hard because money is, is spiritual, money is emotional, money is physical. It's all these things, and, and when we start talking about giving to the church, we, we you know, we, it sounds messy sometimes. We get into ourselves, and, and we say all these things like, God, I want to worship you. God, I want to give you my all, my heart, my mind, my body, and my soul, but my money, mine. <laughs> Stay away from my money, because it don't belong to you. That, that's, I work for that. It can be a sensitive area for many people. When you go to the doctor and and he starts touching on you and there's a sensitive area, he doesn't touch and just go, oop, we won't do that again. He keeps and he keeps pressing a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and he comes up with a diagnosis and a, a prognosis and then a plan for success. At church, the idea of coming to church week after week, Sunday after Sunday, weekend after weekend, is so that we can understand for the total body, what is God calling us to do in totality? Not just in the pieces that we like. 
In 2 Timothy 3 and 16, it says, all scripture is breathed by God. Not some of it, all of it. Say all. Old Testament and New Testament. The stuff you like, the stuff you don't like. All of it is breathed by God. And all of it is for correction, rebuke, and instruction. All of it. All of it. Yep, there's some stuff in the Bible that you might not like. All of it. There may be some things that you disagree with. All of it. Why? Because God wants to take care of the whole body, physically and spiritually. My wife and I right now are on this fitness journey together. Yeah, I heard a couple people moan and groan. Yes. Over our marriage for the years, it's been, a, it's been an area of contention for us because we don't work out well together. We just don't. Listen, if you've, if you've ever tried to do something with your spouse and it just not work because whatever it is, like, baby, that's not how you pick up the barbell you're supposed to build. Listen, I, and I have to tell my wife, listen, I've been exercising before I met you. I know how to bend over and squat and lift things and all that stuff. But we have those moments of condition, but we're doing this workout fitness plan together and there's this one part of the plan that I feel like it is demon-possessed. This plan that we're doing, it's called Pilates. Anybody? Oh, I don't like Pilates. Pilates got me sore right now. I'm sore doing the Pilates. And, and if, you, if you've ever done it, if you haven't done it, I don't advise it. But if you have done it, you understand when you do the Pilates, it works every area of your body. It works muscles that you didn't even know you had. It works muscles that you didn't even know you needed to use. It's, I'm sore right now. But the plan, the, this fitness journey that we're on, the goal is the whole body, not just the parts you like. And even for the parts you like, in order for them to look the way you want them to look, you got to work the parts you don't like. Because it's a whole body. I understand we get into this mindset of, of entitlement, which is why giving, when we're talking about giving and giving consistently is important because God actually wants us to go through the process emotionally, physically, and spiritually of putting him first. He wants us to go through that process and it's easier to go through that process when you acknowledge that everything that you have is his anyway. Colossians 1 and 16, which is our theme scripture, it says this, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Say all things. All things were created by him and for him. I need everybody to do this exercise for me. Everybody, put your phone down, your pad down, whatever. Just put your hand right here over your mouth. Everybody, on every campus, put your hand over your mouth. Do it. This. Good. Uh, for those of you I can't see, God can see you. Now I want you to blow into your hand. Blow. Everybody. Now close your hand. Now put your hand in your pocket. And I want you to save that breath for later. It sounds crazy, don't it? Because your breath is not even yours. You can't save it for later. You even have to steward the air that you have because it belongs to somebody else. Everything we have belongs to God. He owns it. 
He asked for it and he's worth it. And in this area of finances where God is calling us to put him first, the Bible calls it tithing, tithing. So what is this tithing? In, in the Hebrew, the word is myasser, which simply means a tenth. Tithing simply means one-tenth. In the Bible, God commands his people to bring 10% of their gross income back to the church. And whatever God gives to us in an act of worship and obedience, we return one-tenth back to him. And that one-tenth is a reminder that he is our provider, and we acknowledge that all I have come from him, and, and I worship him by giving back to him what he declares is already his. That's why I bring him the first fruits. In the book of Malachi, the third chapter, I'm not going to read the whole thing. In the book of Malachi, the third chapter, the, the children of Israel, they had gone astray. And God shows up and he says, you have robbed me. He uses those actual words, y'all have robbed me. And so they're having this dialogue. God says y'all have robbed. To be robbed means someone has something that doesn't belong to them. So God says, you have robbed me. And they ask, how have we robbed you? And God says, you've robbed me with the tithes and the offerings. You've robbed me from the worship of giving. You've robbed me in that point. And, and he even says in verse 9, he says, because you've robbed me, you're under a curse. We don't like that word in church. When God says you're under a curse, he's not talking about voodoo. He's not saying I'll put y'all under a spell. What he's simply saying is, because you've robbed me, you won't be able to get all that I have for you. In other words, you're living with closed fists which means you can't give, nor can you receive. This is what God is talking about. And in verse 10, he says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe. How much of the tithe? Some of the tithe. Part of the tithe. Pieces of the tithe. The tithe that I'm comfortable with. No, he says, bring the whole thing into the storehouse that there may be food, there may be resources, there may be structure in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. He says, test me, test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Who wants that kind of blessing? That is the kind of blessing that comes from the worship and obedience of just doing what he said. If, if you say, you said, not only, you won't just give me back what I gave. He says, I'm going to open the floodgates. All I have to do is worship you with one-tenth and you're going to open the floodgates for me? God, that's a bad trade. But I'm all for it. He says, I'll open up the floodgates. In the Old Testament, tithing was this foundational principle woven into the fabric of God's covenant with his people. The tithe symbolized giving back to God the first of one's income, acknowledging his sovereignty and his provision. Tithing is this tangible expression of faith, gratitude, and worship. 
And this shows up all throughout the Old Testament. And now I'm going to answer some questions because there's that person that says, well, that was just Old Testament, Pastor. We don't live in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. We are a New Testament church. So I don't do, I don't follow Old Testament law. Well, let me say this first. The principles of the Bible are timeless. The principles of the Bible are timeless. They are timeless. They work in the Old Testament. They work in the New Testament. When Jesus hits the scene and in Matthew 5 and 17, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. He says, I didn't come to cancel it out. I didn't even come to tell you that it was wrong. I came to actually be the walking demonstration. I came to give you law and grace. I came to fulfill it. Okay, we, we get into this, well, it all shows up one time in the Old Testament, one time in the New Testament and all this kind of stuff. In the New Testament, it only shows up one time, Matthew 5 and 21, where it says, thou shall not kill. So does that mean we don't, we don't have to agree with that because it only shows up once? I'm just answering a question, that's all. We get into this thing where it only shows up one time in the New Testament, so that means we don't have to follow it. Well, keep following. Matthew 23 and 23, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says to them, what sorrows await you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. This is a whole body concept. Jesus is affirming tithing is important, but so are these other things important too. You can't tithe and forget all of this other stuff. You can't tithe and forget justice, mercy, and faith. And you can't have justice, mercy, and faith and forget tithing. It's a whole body. It's Pilates, baby. <laughs> So let me define for you real quick what tithing isn't. Here's what tithing isn't. Tithing is not a financial transaction with God. As if we could play, pay for his blessing. Tithing is a heart response to his goodness. It's recognizing that everything we have belongs to him. Tithing is not a religious tax imposed on believers. With the government, they take their money off top. I remember getting my first corporate check. I think I was 17 or 18 years old. I got my first corporate check. And I remember being so happy and so proud that I'd, I'd worked all these hours and I had already spent the money in my mind. I'm like, listen, I worked these many hours. I should get this much money. Can't wait to get them dollars. And I remember getting this check going, who is FICA? And why he get his money off top? I don't even know this dude. <laughs> Tithing is not like that. God doesn't take his off the top. He actually invites us to joyful and a voluntary act of worship, which demonstrates our trust in God's, in God's provision over our lives. Tithing is not a bargaining chip with God. It's not about negotiating your blessings. It's not, if I give this month in my tithe and offering God, you should do this much for me. It's a response to God's love and his grace freely given to us. 
Tithing is not a shortcut to prosperity. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. While there are blessings connected to it, which we have discussed and we'll discuss here in a moment, the blessing that God promises often manifests in ways that go beyond mere financial increase. Tithing is not an exemption from life's challenges. Just because you are given, it doesn't mean that life is going to be smooth sailing. It doesn't guarantee a trouble-free existence. Instead, it positions us to face challenges with assurance that God is our provider and our sustainer. Lastly, tithing is not a substitute for obedience in other areas. Yeah, just because you you tithing don't mean you can lie a lot. Just because you tithe doesn't mean it gives you a gateway to do all the sin you want to because you've paid your dues. That's not what it is. Tithing, it's a a part of a holistic commitment to follow God's commands and embrace his principles in every aspect of our lives. I'm going to answer this other question. Someone might ask, well, Pastor Dale, what about 2 Corinthians 9 and 7? Well, what about it? says this, Paul writes, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What seems like that alone dissipates the whole tithing thing. I don't have to give a tenth of anything because this passage says, give according to my own heart. I have to decide in my heart. There's two things that are happening here, and I can't go into deep detail about it. One part that's happening here is Paul is actually addressing the church in Corinthians because they had promised him a financial gift. And so he's sending some people to go get the gift that they had promised him. And so what he tells when you read the whole chapter, he's telling them, hey, make sure you have it ready so that when they get there, you ain't act like you acting like you don't know who Paul is. That's what he's addressing. The other side is this. This is why I love the Bible. It says, give what you have decided in your heart. In the scripture, whenever it's talking about the heart, it's always talking about the heart in two ways. One way it's talking about the heart is our relationship to God. And it's talking about what you believe. No, because you can know in your mind and it still miss your heart, right? You can know something be true, but if it hasn't happened in your heart, you won't follow through with your actions. So it's talking about what you know in your heart. The other side of your heart is talking about you, your own selfishness, that there's pride. Jeremiah 9 talks about that. Jeremiah 17 talks about that. Mark 7 talks about, says, our heart is deceitful. So when Paul is saying, give according to what is in your own heart, what he's actually saying is give what you think God is worth. What do you believe he's worth in your heart? So give what you believe he's worth. I believe God is worth more than the tithe, so I give him all my stuff. God covers all of my finances. I I give him the whole body. There's three mindsets that we're going to talk about here. The first mindset we're going to talk about is the bag mindset. Say bag. It's the bag mindset. Yeah, the bag. Y'all like y'all bags. Y'all like, you, you like your Louis, your Birkins, 
your birches, y'all like back. Men, I know, you're looking at this like, I don't like that bag. Men, pretend this is a backpack or a, a crossover or a fanny pack. But we, but we like, or, or merce, merce, but we, <laughs> we like our bags. We, we, like, we like the name brands and we like the logos. and we, we, we live in a culture that says, go get the bag. Go chase the bag because we want the bag. The bag is all about me. The bag is me and my stuff and ain't nobody else involved with me chasing the bag. And, and all of culture encourages you, chase the bag. There are some bags that cost like $25,000 bags and, and $15,000 bags. And, and I know you're the person that says, I don't do it because of name brand. I do it because I like the stitching. <laughs> if that's you, I got a bag with my name on it. But, but if, if we're really honest, listen, and I'm not trying to shame nobody that like a nice bag and logos. I like name brand stuff too. If you like what you like, that's great. I'm not trying to shame anybody because you like a bag. But the bag is about me. The, the bag isn't about everybody else because when you go home and put this bag in your closet, in your drawer, there's not a whole lot of people looking through your window to see your bag. This is, this is about how it makes you feel and what it makes you think. There, this, this is one side of the bag mindset that it's, it's all about me. It's all about what I can get. It's all about what I can keep. The other side of the bag mindset is the mindset of scarcity. So we clutch the bag. We keep the bag. Don't get, hey, why are you so close? Stay away from my bag. And I understand this mindset. I grew up poor. I didn't know I was poor until I knew I was poor. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know how poor we were when I was growing up until my father had to come up. And he got a, he got a raise on his job. And I, I, we, it, there were seven of us living in a 711 square foot house. And we had fun. We had food, I always had food, we always had clothes, but we was po without the O-R on the end, just P-O. <laughs> but it was, it was when we moved, it was when we moved that I realized how poor we were. And then I developed this scarcity mindset that I, everything I had I wanted to keep because we may not get it again. I may not have it again. I have a pair of pants at my house right now that are 35 years old because in my mind, what if the world runs out of pants? <laughs> I want to make sure I still got some pants. And this scarcity mindset, I, I've had times in my life where I've forgotten about how good God is and how big he is. And it's, it's caused me to clutch things that I should be letting go of. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 5, it says this, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse or a bag with holes in it. This idea that I, I think I'm doing everything right, but I'm not doing what God called me to do. So you can eat and still not be full. 
You can get dressed and still feel naked. You can have the bag, but all it's throwing is holes in it because it's all about you and it's the scarcity mindset. And when your mindset is wrong, your outcome will always be wrong. In Mark chapter 14, there's this woman who comes to Jesus with this alabaster box. Inside this alabaster box is oil. That oil is worth about a year's of wages. So imagine that inside this box, there's $35,000 to $40,000 worth of oil in this box. And when she sees Jesus, she actually breaks open the box and pours it over his head. She begins to worship him. And the disciples who are standing very close by, they look at this woman and say, what a waste. You could have done something else with that and you just wasted it on Jesus. You just wasted it on Jesus. Judas is one of the people who's actually having this conversation to let her know that she just wasted her oil on Jesus. In Mark 14 and 8, Jesus says, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus says, she gets it. She's not in her bag. She's in her blessing. Many theologians conclude that the woman who broke open this alabaster box is the sister of Lazarus. So this is the same woman who saw Jesus raise her brother from the dead. So it was nothing for her to say, God, I'm willing to give you my all. I'm willing to worship you extravagantly. Judas saw her giving as a waste, and Jesus saw it as extravagant worship. And Judas never gets it. Judas lives with Jesus, walks with Jesus, sees Jesus do miracles. And in the next verse, Judas is the one who betrays Jesus for the bag. It's this mindset of never thinking you have enough. And then there's the second mindset called the basket mindset. This man, mindset says there's, there's just enough. There's just enough. But I want to tell anybody that thinks there's just enough, if you are willing to give it to God, he will bless you. One of my favorite stories in Mark chapter 6 is when Jesus had been preaching all day and all these people were following Jesus. And by the end of the day, they hungry. And there's over 5,000 men, not including women and children. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, we need to send these people home because we have nowhere to feed them and there's no Publix nearby. And Jesus says to disciples, you do it. You figure it out. The disciples, I'm sure, they're crazy. They're, they was like, I don't have a DoorDash. Anybody got Uber Eats? I don't know what's going on, but we need to figure this out. And what did they come up with? They found a little boy with two fish and five loaves of bread, and they bring this to Jesus. This is all they have. But when you continue to read the story, he says he put the two fish and the five loaves of bread into the basket. And then he just started passing the basket around. He prayed over it, and then they just passed the basket around. I don't think y'all get this. There's over 5,000 men, not including women and children. 
So let's assume there's 15,000 people if every man or close to had two kids, maybe four kids, a garage, two cars, and a white picket fence. They start with two fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus prays over it, and then he passes it out to the crowd. And when they get finished, the Bible says everyone ate and was satisfied and there were 12 baskets of food left over. Y'all don't get it yet. Even when you put your just enough in the hands of God, he will multiply. He will multiply what you give. He can't multiply what you keep. And I believe that there's 12 baskets left over because there's 12 disciples. Because I think this is a testimony moment. I I think the disciples get to go home and and, and talk to spouses and friends and and their friends are like, where y'all just coming from? Jesus, you won't believe what just happened. We was just hanging with Jesus and listen, (laughs) there was no food, 5,000 people, leftovers. I don't even know what to say after that. He sends them home with a testimony of what God can do. I love this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says, give, this is Jesus. It says, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. God can multiply anything. This is the law of multiplication. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If you need a better imagery of that, my, when my family, when we go to the movies, we go in deep. So there's a lot of us. But we always get the same thing. I, I, I eat Twizzlers, don't hate. I got Twizzlers, we get popcorn, and we get an Icy. Let me walk you through this. I get the Icy. I'm the one that goes over to the icy machine. I take the cup, I put it under the icy machine. I start getting a good measure. Yeah, and and then I press it down. And then I shake it together. And if you're like me, you put the lid on. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And then you get some more until the lid, until it's overflowing. And if you're like me, you take a sip. And then you go back and you fill it up again. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. When God gives, he gives back to you under the law of multiplication. So there's the bag mindset, there's the basket mindset, then there's the barn mindset. This is where we all really want to be. The barn mindset is that I believe that with God there's more than enough. The barn mindset is when you recognize that in God's kingdom, there is more than enough. In Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. 
When we give God our first fruits, when, when we give our God our tithe and our offering and we give, we're saying, God, I trust you to be my provider, to be my sustainer, to be my source and to be my security. And guess what? God honors our trust. And he pours out a blessing on us that we can't even imagine. When we put God first, he always always, always takes care of us and he will do it abundantly as he says in Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think out of all that I've said, the question that I have is do you trust God? Do you trust him in the areas that are sensitive? Do you trust him in your faith? Will you trust him in your giving and your finances. I know it's hard. I know it's a struggle. I know it's hard putting God first, but God isn't asking you to do something that he hasn't done already. John 3 and 16, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave before you were thinking about giving. He gave while you were still in your sin. He gave, and he gave under the law of multiplication. He gave what we could not give. God gave the one that multiplied life, one for the life of many. God says, if you're willing to give, I'm willing to give. I've already given. Do you trust me? In Malachi 3 and 10, he says, only three times in the Bible, God says, try me. If you're struggling in your areas of trust and faith, test me. Try me. Try me and see if I won't blow your mind. Try me and see. If you hear nothing else, hear me when I say giving is worship. Giving is worship. When I was a child going to Sunday school, my parents would give me money and I would put the money into the offering and, and, and I would put it in there because they told me to do it. So I did what they told me to do. As I got a little bit older, I would give out of principle and obedience but the more I knew God I gave out of worship I don't give because I'm looking for him to give me something I give because I love him I give because I love him and if he never does another thing it's okay I give because I love him My wife loves roses. She loves roses. She doesn't ask for them often, but I try to buy them as, as often as I can. Early on in our relationship, I would buy them, buy her roses, because I, I wanted her gratitude. I was buying the roses because I wanted to get some. I mean, can I, can I just... I don't, I don't even know that I was being sweet, but I was just like, yo, I know if I get her some roses, things are going to be better. But the more, the stronger our relationship got, now I buy her roses because it's Tuesday. I don't need a birthday. I don't need Valentine's Day. I, I don't even need her to mention to it me ever again. I do it because I love her. And I'm not expecting anything back. 
I'm, I'm not even expecting a thank you. I just enjoy doing that. I enjoy putting the roses on the table or, or in the window in our kitchen, and I just like watching her come in and go, for me? I do it because I love her. This is, we sung this song earlier, and we come in week after week and weekend after weekend as a reminder. We don't just do this because this is a nice club to be a part of. We do this as a reminder of how God is building us and what God wants us to learn. We sung this song earlier, the God, he's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. He's light in the darkness, but he's also a burden bearer. He's a heavy load sharer. He's a peace giver. He's joy in the strength of my life. He is holy. He's sovereign. He's faithful. He's good. He's almighty. He's righteous. He's self-sufficient. He's flawless. He's everlasting, unchangeable. He's our maker, our redeemer, our hope, our glory. He's big. He's good. And he's worthy of our worship in every way. Yeah. Giving is worship. I have the campus pastor come up here in a moment, but I, I pray that everyone who's listening, I pray that God builds our faith like never before. That he builds our faith in, not just today, but every day. That we put God first in every area of our lives. I pray that God gives us the wisdom to manage what he's given us every day. And I believe that we will see God's faithfulness and his provision show up like never before. I'm praying for the people who are making big steps in their faith, in your life, in your finances, in your giving, in your family, whatever that looks like. But remember to put God first in everything that you do and watch God blow your mind. Amen? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.